Hey, it's Stephen Peck and Megan Silverthorne, your Sherpas of Sanity, your Lanterns of Liberty, your Conquers of Common Sense. We are back. We are back after five, six months. How long has it been? It's It's been some time, Steve. It's probably been about six months. It, and, you know, when we came off of our board service, I think we each took a break to hang out with the families, but there's a lot going on. Oh my goodness, there's a lot going on. So we got to come back and tell you about it. Yeah. So, Megan... What the heck is going on today? Oh my goodness. Well, today is Thursday, April 26th. So there are a lot of teachers that have left the classroom today and they will leave the classroom tomorrow to protest what's going on with school finance at the Capitol. Interesting. I mean, finances are always top and center of a lot of people's minds. That's right. So are schools actually underfunded? Well, this is a question where the answer is it really depends on who you ask. In relation to other states, Colorado traditionally views itself as being underfunded. It is certainly not in the top echelons of funding. There are a lot of districts, particularly on the East Coast, that they have high property taxes, their state funding mechanisms are different. This gets into the question of how Colorado schools are funded and what the local control is. In a lot of states, education is very centrally controlled. In Colorado, it's locally controlled. Because of the way the funding works, the state funds the lion's share of districts, whereas the districts control how that funding is doled out. Yeah, so one of the things online that's being kicked around and debated is we're 46th. Out of 50 states, we're number 46 as far as teacher pay, and that's just unacceptable. Truth to that or not? Well, it's, it's not true, and here's why. Nine News came out with an article a couple days ago that talked about where teachers in Colorado rank in terms of national pay. They're about 31st. Originally, they were 30th, and then the number was revised. But this is from the National Education Association. The main branch of the National Education Association in this state is the Colorado Education Association. They're the ones organizing these walkouts. So they posted a report dated this month that talked about teacher pay. And ironically, we're not 46th, we're actually 31st, which, you know, you could argue that you want that to be better. Everybody values pay differently and decides where they want the ideal to be. Some people don't think it matters. Some people want to be first. But that's a, a different conversation to have. We need to have the right facts before we start talking about whether we want more or not. We need to decide as a society where we want to be. I thought the uh, union wasn't in Douglas County, Megan. Oh, for heaven's sake. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, without losing absolutely everyone in the audience, can you briefly describe what does fund schools? Because there's a lot of confusion around, okay, I thought this came from property taxes. Isn't that normally what happens? And how does Taper and the Gallagher Amendment and all these layers fit together? This is the show of uh, Sherpas of Sanity here, so can you guide us? You're right, Steve. I could talk to you all day and probably lose everybody who's listening. The bottom line is there are two major sources for funding and education in Colorado. There's state sources and local sources. Your local sources are things that everybody's familiar with, your property taxes and your license plates. They call them specific ownership. So every time you pay for your license plates, you're helping to fund schools. Property taxes are certainly also part of it. Like I said earlier, the majority of funds comes from state income taxes and the state general fund. So a lot of people are like, well, I don't understand. My property taxes, I, I pay a lot and I'm trying to help fund my schools. At the state level, they take in all the funds every year that people pay in income taxes and they dole those out in the general fund to several major state priorities and education is one of them. Education mm -hmm. takes up almost half of the state general fund. And there are a lot of different state constitutional mechanisms that affect this. 
Uh, there is a funding mechanism specifically for education called Amendment 23. And that was passed uh, a number of years ago by voters, probably about 20 years ago, and mandated that education spending will go up every year by inflation plus 1%. That was the original passage. The 1% portion has sunsetted, but the inflation portion remains. Hmm. So education is mandated to increase in spending every year. There are two other things that kind of interfere with the way your lawmakers collect taxes and redistribute that income to school districts. The first one is the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. People know it colloquially as the Tabor Amendment. And that limits the growth of government. I personally think that's here, here. a very good thing. That's right. What it does is it, it limits the amount that the state can take in. And it also means that every time the state wants to raise taxes or localities want to raise taxes, they have to ask the people, can <laughs> I, mean, I have more of your money? Yeah, that makes absolutely a great deal of common sense. And, and as a Coloradan, I'm happy that we have that. I think a lot of states like New York and California, New Jersey, Illinois, Minnesota probably would all be better served if they had their own taper. But the answer always seems to be more money from taxpayers. Well, and that's, that's the thing. So people here want more money from taxpayers. They have to ask. So that's basically Tabor in a nutshell. The state has to project how much money it thinks it's going to take in. And if it comes in above that, then it has to refund money to the taxpayers. That's a very simplified way of talking to you about what Tabor's provisions are. But that's part of the reason that the sky is not the limit in terms of government growth here, because they have to project, they have to ask, they have to uh, stay within a certain limit. And that's not to say that government hasn't grown in Colorado uh, astronomically over the last 20 years. It's just been within the confines of Tabor for the most part. So without, I'm, I'm not looking for an exact answer down to the percentage here, but I mean, can you give us some sense of, of the property taxes that I'm paying right now, how many of that actually go to the local school? Quite a bit, actually. A lot of it will go to local government, will go to your metro districts, it'll go to smaller things like that. But the lion's share certainly does go to your schools. Every citizen can go to their local assessor's website, their county website, and pull down their tax bill and look at an itemized list of government entities that your tax dollars go to. And I would encourage everyone to do that. So property taxes on the rise. They, I mean, I mean, everybody is seeing these gains. We're all, you know, quietly hoping my next Zillow search will render another X percentage. If the majority of our tax dollars are local and are feeding the local district, then what's the problem here? Why are we short of cash? Well, we have two answers to this, really. The first is I, I didn't quite get to the Gallagher Amendment, which is part of the state mechanism at the constitutional level that dictates property taxes. We have a fixed ratio between commercial and residential property. And since growth in Colorado is changing those ratios, when they're fixed, it means that one goes up and one goes down. Is it fair to say that Gallagher, I mean, is it still relevant today? Is it still have a place? My understanding of Gallagher, and this is just very Johnny Q public kind of understanding, is it was supposed to simplify the way taxes are determined. It greatly simplifies things, particularly for local assessors. It fixes commercial property taxation rates at 29%, and it floats residential, whatever it takes to maintain that ratio. So for the last 15 years, since 2003, it's been set at 7.96% of local assessments. That's very specific. Uh, yes. And then at now, this year, brand new, it's down to 72 so it's pushing local property taxes down, which is 
good for homeowners. It's making sure that they keep more of their money. Hmm. People do argue that not enough money is going to government services. However, because like you said, evaluation increases, more money is going to local government. With the school district, however, because there is a balance between local property taxes and state funds, we as a school board, you remember when we were on the school board, we were able to lower individual very... <laughs> taxes. That's right. We were able to lower individual taxes because the state was going to backfill that money for us. And there's a whole lot more complicated mechanisms that go into that. But suffice it to say that the local taxes are being kept low because in part of our relationship with the state and in part because of Gallagher. Okay, so if you were approached and said, is Gallagher serving the public interest well, yes or no? Absolutely. Okay. Yes, it is, but it's also muddying the waters for our educational costs and the public's general understanding of what's needed to fund our schools. It's difficult for people to understand because the way it's written is very Byzantine and a lot of people don't necessarily understand how their local taxes work. And that's not a knock on John Q. Public. It's some of these ballot measures back in the day were written in a rather complicated manner. And that's one of the reasons I think that Tabor is written in such a way that when you ask the voters for more money, the ballot questions are mandated to begin with, shall taxes be increased? Boom. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's sometimes, that. for some people, that's all they need to know. That's yeah. right. The next four paragraphs are totally irrelevant. Right. So, so yeah. are, are, are some critics I've seen are saying, okay, since most tax dollars for your local school district are collected locally, why are these teachers protesting downtown at the Capitol? Well, it's like I said earlier, yes, districts keep all of their mill levies, they keep all their mill levy overrides, which is in addition to their property taxes, there are questions that are put to the voters in most school districts. Can we have more over and above the base taxation on your home? And that's going to go exclusively to fund this or that. The ballot questions are written very specifically, and those local communities enjoy keeping that money. The state, on the other hand, can choose what it wants to do with with the income taxes they collect from each locality. It's pretty much guaranteed that wealthier districts are not going to keep all the tax money they receive because districts that have less of a tax base are going to need that. And that's the definition of state redistribution. So it's local, so frustrating to hear that. It, it is very frustrating. And so local districts will keep their property tax dollars, but the state dollars, not so much. Local districts will have the discretion to allocate the dollars they receive to salaries, to benefits. Benefits are actually kind of fixed in terms of retirement, but in terms of health insurance and other benefits, as well as other types of operating expenses. Okay, so we've talked some about what's happening in Colorado, but talk to us about Douglas County in particular. And I know not all of our listeners are from Douglas County, but for those that are, are Douglas County teachers, one, are they underpaid? relative to other counties? And two, how do they rack and stack against other states in the union? Is this a trumped up union-driven thing or are some of their concerns valid? I mean, what's your take? I think teacher pay is very relative a lot of times. There is kind of an artificial market going on because in a vacuum, you could say, well, our teachers are paid fine. But then you look at surrounding districts that are more willing to tax themselves. They're more willing to collect money from the citizens and then reallocate that into teacher pay. Their pay scales are different. They have active union collective bargaining representation that changes the way their salary structure is done. So it's not really a free market, but it is a market nonetheless. And so teachers look to these other markets and they say, well, I can make more money over here, so I'm going to leave. And that, in a lot of ways, is a very undesirable outcome, especially when you have highly skilled teachers that are leaving and they become difficult to replace. 
my opinion, um, and I think there are a number of facts to back this up, is that the method of protesting right now is not related or not going to fix the problem at hand. If the problem at hand is other districts making more money, if the problem at, at hand is the benefits that have gotten out of control, and we haven't even started talking about the Public Employees Retirement Association. Yeah, that um, deserves its own show. It does, and, and it, there's so so many allocation issues. The legislature has already gone through a lot of conversation about what it wants to do with education funding priorities. And to be honest, there are huge amounts of money that are going toward education that were not going toward it last year. There's been an increase in the projected tax dollars that are going to come in, and so there has already been an increase in the, the proposals for going for education. So the timing right now, I think, is very interesting and not, like I said, completely relevant. Okay, so we have teachers who are abandoning their professional obligations today to rally politically at the Capitol. I mean, in your view, is this fair to children? Is it fair to the district? I think teachers would have gained more of a sympathetic audience if they had not left the classroom and made sure that students don't receive the instruction today that they would have otherwise received, and not to mention inconveniencing parents who have to leave jobs yes. and find childcare. So I think there's a lot of angst about that, a lot of people that are upset that teachers chose to do that today. The flip side of that is they said, well, would anybody have listened if we marched on a Saturday? Would anybody have listened if we had not inconvenienced everybody? Right, yeah, no, I mean, as a parent of two, I, I can tell you if, if school's not in session, that's a major problem for me. That's a quick scramble. Like, what are we gonna do on Wednesday of next week? Or or Thursday of next week, whatever the case may be, because our kids are too young to be on their own. Well, and yeah, Sarah and, and I have regular jobs that require you know us to be present. So we have to now have a new plan. What is the plan? And so I, I imagine today there are probably thousands, maybe tens of thousands of families that are scrambling for a plan. Right. And there are many parents who are in your boat who have children that are not old enough to stay by themselves in the house or old enough to find their own thing. Well, that is the point, right? That is the point, I think, that, that people who are protesting are kind of saying, hey, do we have your attention now? And I don't think that that's fair to parents. On the other hand, uh, that is a quick way to get attention. And so if that's something that they're looking to do, then I don't know if you've seen in other states. There are other states that... No, I saw Oklahoma's in the news. Was it West, West Virginia? West Virginia. Yeah. Um, there, are, there are teachers across the country that are, frankly, probably doing worse than we are in terms of leaving children in the lurch. That's a shame. I, I, I understand people have a right to protest. People have a right to make themselves heard however they see fit. Other people don't have to like it, and other people can criticize. Yeah, I mean, if I'm a teacher, I understand the the want for, you know, the best wage possible and the best benefits possible. But you know, where does the student fall into this? I think more people, and I'm talking mostly about the Douglas County voter, but the Colorado voter too, people will be more inclined to support you if they feel like those dollars are following the child, if they're going to the classroom. A lot of times though, people feel like, you know what, that's, that's going to go to overhead, that's going to go to administration, that's going to go to support a union that will then turn those dollars into contributions to my congressman's opponent in the fall of 2018. And I don't support that. That's right. No, I, I think a lot of people are, are saying, look, I understand that teachers want or need more money. Where is that money going? What is happening now that the priorities are out of whack? Because people see the growth in state government in Colorado, especially in the last 20 years. And they say, great, where did all that money go? What's going on? What is? What are they really looking to achieve? What are they looking to, to get? 
That's a great question. We always get the marijuana question. I think, again, deserves its own podcast. But people think property values are going up. I pay my taxes. Everybody around me is doing well. Why is there a shortage of funding? They're trying to square the circle, and it's difficult to understand because of things like Tabor, the Gallagher Amendment, and the funding mechanisms that are currently in place. What do you think? I'm, I'm asking you to kind of like step out of yourself and think for a moment. If you were a child, what kind of message is this sending you? That I'm not going to school today. My teacher is at a political protest. All the adults around me are upset about something. I don't really understand it. What do you think that's telling kids? Well, obviously, the younger a child is, the less they are likely to understand yes. what is happening. They just know that that they get a random day off of school that Snow day. wasn't planned, and mom and dad don't seem very happy about it. I think we always tell our kids or our younger friends or the people that we try to mentor, our young people that are coming up in our society, you need to work hard, do well, show up, meet your obligations. You know, everything that we tell them to build a work ethic in them. I find it unfortunate that politics are intruding on the classroom environment. Most people I know don't want our teachers to be parents. They don't want our teachers to be surrogate parents. So if there is a message being pushed, hey, you know, you're, you're telling a child it's okay to drop your obligations and demand attention right now, then they want something right now. And to me that it's like, on, here, today I'm going to show you how the legislative process works. And tomorrow I'm going to demand that legislators abandon it, or I'm going to ignore how it works. And I'm going to want something right now. And I'm going to leave my charges, my, my students, the people that I'm here for in the lurch in order to get it done. And I, I, think, I think that's a very confusing message for kids. In the military, if you abandon your post, if you abandon your post... Um, that's a... Well, I mean, it it's, obviously it depends upon the setting and the circumstances, your job and whatnot. But in a general sense, abandoning your post is totally unacceptable and can lead to serious consequences. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I would handle it myself if I was in the position of a superintendent who has all of a sudden 500 plus requests for a day off because obviously this is orchestrated by somebody larger than the, the teacher themselves. But there's no words that really come quickly to describe the level of frustration and just frustration, I'll just leave it at that, that kind of surfaces as I hear teachers who have an obligation to kids and we hear about kids constantly and yet in this circumstance it seems like the priorities of of adults, of systems, of districts are put above what's happening to first, second, third graders. Well, and this is, I imagine, the administration of our district in particular, but every district felt sort of helpless about it. Well, I see a building wave of substitute requests, and at some point I'm not going to be able to fulfill them, and I'm not going to be able to guarantee the safety of the children if they come into the district. There will be classrooms without a teacher. There will be buildings without people to oversee them. And that's that's not something that is acceptable. And so they made the decision to shut down the districts. And you're right, whether it's in the military, I, that sounded like a one-way ticket to a court-martial to me. <laughs> I, I didn't say it, but I was going there. I was, I was letting you fill in the blanks. Uh, and, but, and even in the private sector, you can take days off. This is not about, hey, they're taking a personal day, they're sacrificing a personal day in order to make themselves heard. This is about... So many personal days being taken on one day that you're shutting down an organization. And that is a different story than, hey, you have personal days that you're entitled to take. That's part of your benefit package. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to see if that engenders sympathy for their cause or if it engenders resentment. And I think the outcome is still to be determined. But 
without a doubt, this is sending a message to kids. My observation is that it's dividing Coloradans. It's not clear to me how many people support the entire effort and how many people are hesitant and how many people are saying, well, I'm not, I'm not voting for any tax increase after this. I've seen some people that are saying that because they're saying, look, we understand that, that you feel that there are needs that are not being met, but this is not the way to go about it. Okay, last question, Megan. Is there any sense that you have, I mean, we know at least in Douglas County that there are over at least 500 teachers that have left their post. Do we know how many more there are? Because it seems to me that there is a silent majority of teachers who are thinking, you know what, yeah, of course I'd like to get paid more. And, and yes, I wish the funding mechanisms were different in Colorado, but I'm not willing to shirk my professional responsibilities to hold up a sign and march around the Capitol today. I, I'm not willing to do that. Is this a case of the minority dictating the options of the majority, or do we know how big that other group of teachers are? Well, I think until the protests are over, we won't have concrete numbers. But I know there are thousands of teachers who are ready to show up for work. They view all of this as maybe a distraction or maybe not the right way to accomplish things or the right way to go about it. I know there, there are some teachers that went to schools today to make themselves available to students, even though there are no classes in session. And I think that's admirable. Yeah, that's and pretty I, awesome. It is pretty awesome. And I know there are a number of charter schools who are individual entities. Their teachers are not employees of districts. They are in session today. My kids are in session today. And, and yes, <laughs> I mean, there are private schools, there are homeschooled kids, there are lots of kids that are being educated today. And I think Unfortunately, a lot of our neighborhood school teachers have left a lot of kids out there. They have left a lot of kids without instruction today. And that's kind of the opposite, I think, of what their hearts intend. But they felt so strongly about this. They felt it was so important that they were willing to leave their classrooms. And that's, that's something that Coloradans are going to have to come to grips with and decide whether they find acceptable. Well, Megan, thank you for your, your time today and all your insights. I think this was uh, incredibly enlightening. And I, I'm hoping that in the, our next episodes, we can tackle other things like what the heck happened to that contract, that superintendent contract deserves its own episode. And what's going on at the DAC? Because there's some craziness occurring, but there's not enough time in the day. That's there's not right. enough time in the day to keep up with it. So we will have to come back to those. Our intent is to bring less filter, more guests, and more energy to this podcast. Please like and share us, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Steve.